Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this opportunity we have to gather. We don't have spaces like this many places in life. It's one of the beauties of this church that you've given us where we can kind of cut away from the distraction and the expectations of others and um, maybe forget for a little while all the things on the to-do list and all the worries of this world and we can just focus and listen for your voice through your word. I pray that you would speak to us through it this morning, that your spirit would be moving in our hearts. You know what we need and we're here for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're in this brand new series called Rise Up and we're going to look at uh, some of the incredible stories of post-resurrection Jesus and his encounters with all different kinds of people and the start of what would become the early church. And I'm really excited about this uh, series and, and I hope that it'll, it'll grow on you or that you'll find it very meaningful and powerful as you kind of take these, the word and apply it to your lives. And um, what we're going to look at today is a passage found in Luke chapter 24, starting in 13. And what I'm calling this message is rise up out of discouragement. I don't know how many of you are wrestling with discouragement this morning, but my guess is probably more people are wrestling with discouragement than not wrestling with discouragement. Discouragement is just a part of our existence. It's part of walking through life. And uh, the line between discouragement and defeat is often blurry. You will feel defeated before you're defeated because of discouragement. Long before your game is over, you'll feel like it's over because of discouragement. Long before that relationship is dead, you will feel like that relationship is dead because of discouragement. Long before you actually ruin your purpose, you will feel like your purpose is ruined because of discouragement. The line between discouragement and defeat is really blurry. And if you're discouraged, maybe you're feeling even defeated this morning. And I don't know what area of discouragement or defeat you're experiencing, but you have to know this, that it's not over. Even if you're very discouraged, even if you think it's over. And the spaces you find yourself in when wrestling with discouragement really, 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 really matter. I had entirely too much coffee this morning. <laughs> Not looking forward to the anxiety attack that'll happen at about 1.30 this afternoon. But until then, it's going to be fun. <laughs> I'm so glad you guys love me unconditionally. <laughs> maybe, maybe you love me, maybe not. <laughs> the spaces you find yourself in when you're really discouraged, when you're wrestling with discouragement, when you're feeling defeated, the spaces you find yourself in physically, the spaces you find yourself in emotionally, the spaces you find yourself in relationally, they, they really matter, they really do. What space do you find yourself going to when you're discouraged? Here's where I go. I go to this isolated space where I just get angry. 
That's where I go to when I'm feeling discouraged and frustrated. What, what kind of space do you go to when you're discouraged and feeling defeated? Sometimes we, we like isolation. It feels good. It seems good. Just kind of tuck it all into ourselves and put up barriers and walls and keep all the people out and keep all the people away and hope that it gets better on its own. Some of us, we like to like jump into the crowd. Some of us maybe do some at-risk things when we're feeling discouraged just to make ourselves feel better and drown out all that internal dialogue that's going on in our lives. What kind of space do you go to when you're feeling discouraged? Because the spaces you find yourself in are so important. And we're going to look at this incredible space, these two other guys find themselves in where Jesus meets them in this Luke passage. But before I get to actually reading this account in Luke chapter 23, I want to just talk about how encouraging this passage is because the main characters of this story that we are going to read together are like the other guys. You've seen the movie like the other guys? They're like the other guys. They're like the not mentionables. In fact, the only time in scripture you hear about these guys is in this passage. One of them doesn't even get named in the passage. These are two disciples, which just means followers or students of Jesus, three days after his crucifixion and a little glimpse into their journey and this incredible encounter with Jesus. And these guys, they aren't the main players. They're not the big 12 or 11 at this point in the story. They're probably part of the 70 disciples that kind of stuck around Jesus and followed him, part of the crew, but not really like carrying maybe all the weight. They're the other guys. And what's so absolutely incredible about this is that if these guys are this significant to Jesus, that on his first day out of the grave, he meets them and spends significant time with them on this seven-mile journey, then you are more significant than you think or feel. When it comes to God, if you feel like you're one of the others or one of the outsiders, one of the discarded, one of the forgotten, one of the not as good as they are, not as nice as they are, not as pretty as they are, not enough clout as they are, not as many Instagram followers as they have, not as many friends as that person seems like, not, in, not as nice of a, it, it, you are more significant than you realize when it comes to this God. Your journey, no matter what your journey looks like, no matter how big your struggles are or how epic your failures have been, your journey matters to God. There's no place you can go where he won't meet you there. And when he does meet you, this resurrected Jesus, when you do see him, no matter what space you find yourself in, no matter what part of your journey you are on, the encounter is beautiful. It's not an encounter defined by shame or guilt. That's the stuff religion throws at us. 
our encounters with this incredible resurrected Jesus when we see him for who he is are absolutely beautiful. You have these two other guys on the third day after the crucifixion. You'll learn as I read this in a couple of seconds that they kind of under, heard some of the stories about what was going on, heard that some people thought Jesus wasn't, wasn't in the grave. They, they had not experienced itself, but they've heard these stories about resurrection. It hadn't really sunk in yet. They're, they're discouraged and confused And maybe they think it's over. Maybe they're not sure if it's over. They kind of think it's over for them, which is why they're on this seven-mile journey out of town. Story's over. It's kind of done. And And what happens when we are discouraged is we forget who God is. If only I would remember that this God that we're talking about, this Jesus, is the God of redemption the God of impossible comebacks, the God of many chances upon many chances upon many chances upon, you can't run out of chances. He's that kind of God. And maybe if you're discouraged, one of the best things you can do this morning is to reacquaint yourself with who this Jesus really is. This God who gives us resurrection power. This encounter is full of this resurrection kind of power. And I don't know if I remember in those times of discouragement where my circumstances seem so big and so overwhelming that I have been gifted this kind of power through faith in the Holy Spirit too. Paul, he says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. Ephesians 1.19-20, I pray that you will understand this incredible, the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that has raised Christ from the dead. These two were about to experience it in Luke chapter 24 and 13. It says, now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them. I love this creepy Jesus move. I love this sneak up on him Jesus move. I love this like, do I have a stalker? Oh yeah, it's this guy. I don't get it yet, but he's Jesus. I say that in the nicest, most beautiful way. He's the hound of heaven. And uh, here he is. He comes up alongside them and he's just walking along with them on the journey. And in verse 16, it says this thing that would become, I think it's so important. It says, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? As if he, did, as if he didn't know. Jesus knows the answer to this question. There's something really important and powerful about speaking what's going on in our hearts out loud, about, about saying it out loud. And so he presses them. He digs in. He pushes them to a place they need to get to. They, they stood still, their faces downcast. Uh, just like I can picture it in my head. It's the same look when I say to my youngest, no more Skittles, right? Like it's like the discouragement and the defeat and all of it right there in the body language because you can read discouragement 
in the body language of people around you. Some of you thought you hit it pretty well, but you look pretty discouraged running into this place today. Maybe you hide it at work. Maybe you hide it with your family. Maybe you hide it with your spouse. But deep in your heart, what's really going on is you're discouraged. One of them named Cleopas asked, are you, I love this too, those of you who are sarcastic, Cleopas is your new favorite disciple. I'm just saying it like he's, he is. He says, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in the last, in these days? And Jesus responds with, what things? <laughs> About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in the word, deed, before God and all the people. You see, there's something missing in that response. It doesn't say, Jesus, this Messiah, the Son of God. You see, discouragement can cloud our view of who God is. No wonder it's so easy to fall into defeat. The chief priests, they go on, and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, past tense, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, the Messiah. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. And then they add this like little bit that's confusing them, no doubt. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb Talking about Peter and John, John who did not leave out that he beat Peter to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe. I think there's something in some of your translations that's so important. You can translate that slow to believe, slow of hearts in that part. How slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into glory? And then incredibly, in verse 27, Jesus, he says, and the beginning, and beginning with Moses, or he doesn't say, but in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village, which they were going to, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when they broke Bread. Here these two other guys are wandering because we often wander along this road when we're facing discouragement and we're confused about the direction of our lives and what's happening next. They're wandering along and Jesus cuts right 
to their hearts. I don't want to miss this. He's not just addressing their brains theologically. He's pressing into their hearts. His question cuts to the heart of who they are. He addresses the slowness of their hearts. Listen, my heart gets slow. It gets heavy. It gets weighed down when I'm discouraged. I think that's like a pretty common experience. When you're discouraged, your heart is slow. Your heart's slow to find hope. Your heart's slow to find encouragement. Your heart's slow to find joy. Everybody in the world is trying to cheer you up and make you feel better, but it's slow. It's just burdened. It's weighed down. It's heavy with the discouragement that you're facing. It's not surprising to me that their hearts were slow to come to understand the hope that they have, the truth that they have, even though they had heard it from someone else. You see, what's needed is not the testimony of others about the resurrected Christ. What's needed is a personal hope that comes from a personal encounter with this resurrected Jesus. Their hearts, Jesus mentions their hearts and they talk about their hearts burning while he was with them. The heart, your heart is the most important part of you. Yet we hardly ever take stock of where our hearts are at. I end up asking a lot of people how they're doing and a hundred and like 90% of the time, I'm not good at math, I'm not sure if that even makes mathematical sense, but you get the point, like the answer is like good. So the people that I love, the people that are close to me, my kids and some of our friends, like what I started doing is instead of asking like, hey, are you good, how are you doing? Like, cause it's gonna be the same answer every time. I started asking like, how's your heart? No, like how is your heart right now? Your heart is the most important part of you and we hardly ever take stock of where our hearts actually are about what's really going on in our hearts. We spend all this energy and time trying to cover it up or avoid it or hide it or shuffle it away or scold ourselves because of what's really going on. Hardly ever do we stop long enough to just say, what's going on in my heart right now? What's going on in your hearts? A discouraged heart needs encouragement. A frustrated heart needs peace. A fearful heart needs courage. A proud heart needs to be humbled. An apathetic heart needs to find excitement again. I asked my kids what a disappointed heart needs and my middle child said ice cream. And while it is really tempting to agree with her, (laughs) what a discouraged heart needs is hope, but not generalized hope, not heard about hope, not somebody told me a story about how they went to the tomb and found it empty, hope. What a disappointed heart needs is personal hope. All of these things that are our deepest heart's needs, so incredible. All of these things, all of these needs, the deepest needs of your heart are all met in and by 
this resurrected Jesus. I love that they don't get the answer they were seeking for. You know, if you were to ask me if I was one of those other, if I was like the, the non-mentioned disciple, which feels kind of fitting, and I was like strolling on the road, listening to Cleopas talk, and like just figuring this whole thing out, and like somebody jumped into the scene and said, yo, what do you need? I'd be like, I need to see Jesus. I got a couple questions, like, right? Like, that's what I need. Like, I got a, I got a couple of things I got to ask. I mean, I've been following him here. We've been doing all this stuff. I ate this terrible fish and bread lunch that was like, everybody touched it and passing around in baskets. And like, I've been through some stuff. <laughs> I need to talk to Jesus. I got to ask him a thing or two. That's what I would have said. I bet if you would have asked these two other disciples what they needed, it would have been similar. They would have been like, I just need to see Jesus. I got some questions. I'm confused. I'm discouraged. I feel defeated. Was this just a waste of time? Were we just kidding ourselves? Are we that foolish that we followed this God thinking he was the Messiah and our hope was shattered past tense because he died? Like, are we crazy? I got some questions. They probably had questions too. It's so interesting to me that Jesus hid himself and went about answering their greatest heart's need in a different way than probably what they had hoped for. You see, what they needed was not just some reappearance, disappearance again. They needed more than that. What, what Jesus felt like they needed, what Jesus gave them, was a reliable faith, was a reasonable faith, was a faith they could depend on and trust in. And so instead of just giving them what they would have wanted, this Jesus resurrected in front of them, he just takes them on this journey through scripture, pointing out all the different ways this entire book has been pointing to and is about Jesus. Oh, we talk about passages like they're about other stuff sometimes, and that's okay. And all scripture is useful for teaching and learning. It says that itself. Like so I don't I don't feel bad about taking the story of David and Goliath and talking about how you can overcome giants. I don't feel bad about like looking at the book of Joshua and talking about how you can experience more courage in life. But let's not lose the fact that this entire thing has all been pointing us to and is about this Jesus and his resurrection. So what Jesus does is he takes them through and he teaches them all the different ways that the scriptures have pointed to who the Messiah actually is and what the Messiah would actually do. This was something that no, no neighbor could have been like, whoa, did you eat some bad pizza because of that appearance thing that you said happened with Jesus breaking bread? That doesn't happen. You must have been hallucinating. You're going crazy. I get it. You've been through a lot. Nobody could say, you're, you're just absolutely nuts. You got this completely wrong. They didn't need some appearance and disappearance. They needed to know that their faith placed in Jesus is reasonable and reliable. Do you know that your faith placed in Jesus is reasonable and reliable? It's not blind faith. It's not empty faith. 
It's not wishful thinking. It's reasonable and reliable based on scripture, based on history, based on God's interaction with the world. And at the right moment, if you're seeking him, he will show you it might not be what you want, but he'll show you exactly what you need. Their hearts go from slow, (laughs) that's where I feel like I feel slow this morning, And then as they heard the word, they started to experience what maybe some of you have experienced when you have looked at the story of Jesus for yourself. They started to experience maybe what you have experienced as you've heard someone teach the word and the spirit has moved in you and called things to mind and attention and encouraged and maybe even convicted sometimes or brought clarity to some things. Their hearts went from slow to burning inside them as they heard the words about Jesus. And then that led to seeing him for who he really is and encouraged hearts heading back to embrace their purpose. I love that transition and I honestly, I need it on repeat. I need it on repeat like as often as I can do it. My heart is discouraged and slow often and I need to hear and see more of this resurrected Jesus. I know that'll lead to a burning in my heart and fulfillment following that. I need that on repeat. This Jesus who meets you exactly where you are. This Jesus who walks along with you on this journey. This Jesus who gives us his words to help us get through life. This Jesus who knows your deepest heart's needs and wants you to find those needs met in him. The space you're in when you're really discouraged matters. It's so interesting to me that they were both on this road together asking similar questions wrestling with similar confusions, wondering similar things, and that Jesus met them together. Listen, if you're feeling discouraged, you gotta find people who are on a journey like yours, seeking things like you. You need to talk about the things that are going on in your heart and in your life. You need to seek more of who this resurrected Jesus is. And that's what this space is supposed to be about. And I know some of you have had bad church experiences. Your experience with church, if you were to write it out, it could be something you could tell a therapist at some point. You showed up expecting one thing and found judgment and condemnation. You look different and so you're made to feel like you don't belong or you don't fit in. Maybe somebody has even hurt you or said terrible things to you or misrepresented Christ and his heart for you and you've been dealing with all kinds of nonsense and confusion because of religion and a church made up of broken people that fails just like anything else. But you need to know the space that you find yourself in is so discouraged and God gives us the church which is a body of believers, not a building who are on the same journey as you are on. People with the same struggles, people with the same questions, 
people with the same fears, all walking together and seeking more of who this resurrected Jesus is and what he means for our lives, but more importantly, what he means for our hearts. A discouraged heart, it needs personal hope. And personal hope is only found in encountering in a personal way this personal and resurrected Jesus. I pray that you would know him, that you would know his resurrection power, and that you would never try to walk this journey isolated or alone again. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Cleopas and his friend walking this journey, wandering this road seven miles And there you were. They didn't see it, but there you were. We don't see it, but here you are, walking with us, encouraging us, showing us the things we need to see when we need to see them, all reaching and pointing to our hearts that are in desperate need of you. And I pray if anyone is discouraged here, that their hearts would start burning as they hear the words about who you are, what you have done for us. That they would find joy and freedom and a personal hope and a personal God who died for our sins and rose and left the grave empty so that that hope would not be wishful thinking, but a reliable, reasonable faith. We're so thankful for Jesus the cross and the resurrection. Without it, we have no hope and we are just fools. But because of it, we have eternal hope and lives that are so full. Thank you so much for your presence. It's the greatest encouragement of all. I pray that we would experience that in the rest of the service and this week, that you would encourage those who need encouragement, that you would strengthen those who need strength, that you would be bring joy to the downcast, that you would show yourself again the Savior of our souls and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.